Good morning, everybody. As Lana said, my name is Alana, and I'm going to be reading uh, Romans 6, 1 through 5. What should we say then? Should we continue to sin so that grace may multiply? Absolutely not. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? Therefore, we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too may walk in a new way of life. For if we have been joined with him in the likeness of his death, we will certainly also be in the likeness of his resurrection. May God bless the reading of his word. Thank you. Um, So, you may have grasped from the scripture that we uh, we just read that we are going to be talking about baptism today. Um, Before I do this, though, before I get into the teaching, I just want to talk about one thing. Two, actually. Sorry, not one, two. So, some of you know me, some of you don't know me, but um, as my name and accent may give away... I'm originally from Russia. I'm born and raised there, um, lived there all my life until the age of 22, um, and then I moved here to the U.S., and ever since then, um, I call this place my home. But in fact, I have two homes. Russia is still my home, and the U.S. is becoming my home little by little. Um, so before I touch the teaching and the scripture, I want to say that and many of you know this, um, there is a war going on back home. And we are, unfortunately, my people are the accusers and the, um, the ones who are attacking our brothers and sisters. And I mean our brothers and sisters because we have the same blood. There's not a person in Russia that doesn't have a person that they know of or um, that is their family from Ukraine. So it is literally us um, going against our family members. And that pains me. That pains my heart. That gives me grief. And that gives me a sense of responsibility for what I do while I'm here. I do not condone the actions of my government right now. And I do not not only just get saddened by the crisis that is happening, I'm fully aware that that is a war. And I just wanted to um, point it out I don't want to be silent about it. I wanted to point it out because today we're talking a lot about what baptism means for God, what baptism, baptism means to us who are Christians. We are in Christ. And I don't want you to hear it from me, a Russian. I want you to hear it from me as a child of God who I believe God spoken these words to. So that's one thing. And the second thing is, I have not mastered any of this. In fact, I will be very honest with you as I go through some of these points and say that if you have tips for any of this, please hit me up because it is just, I mean, the book of Romans itself is just packed with life application, especially for new believers, but also for those who have been walking with Christ for, you know, 30 plus years. Um, it is very challenging to live by these things every day. So that is not coming from like, oh yeah, do as I do. 
don't, don't do that. Do as Christ does. So this is what my job is today, to point us back to him and to learn about him today. So let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for who you are. Thank you for your sacrifice for us on the cross so that we may be free. Like the song said that we sang earlier today, it is for freedom that you set us free. So let us walk freely, God. I pray, Lord, that as I um, go through this content that I believe you put on my heart, I lift it back up to you, speak through me, and if there's anything that is not of you, Lord, I ask that you just skip through it. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Okay. Many of you, I'm sure, in this room have been baptized. Well, don't leave the service or tune out from YouTube if you're watching online. Um, in fact, I have probably more content for those who have been baptized than those who have not yet been baptized. And I will tell you in a little bit what I mean by that. And let's start with the basics. What is baptism? In the physical, baptism is an event where a person gets immersed or submerged into water in the, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're taking a public proclamation that they now are with Christ. They are no longer the old self that they have been. They are a new creation, and they're declaring that in front of people that they know, people that they don't know, people that they like, people that they don't like, etc. It's up there now. And it's a big standard to say that in front of a lot of people because you're going to be held to that standard going forward. The word baptizo in Greek, pronounced as baptizo, I love Google, um, it means to dip or immerse into water. In the Greek, it is never used in the passive. What I mean is that it's not used to say um, the water is used to baptize someone. It is always meant in the active. The person is immersed into the water, and the person goes under the water fully. I'm referring to the uh, act of sprinkling right now, or how I've been baptized as a kid when I was like six months or a year old or something like that. And um, that was considered it. That was considered that I am now of the family of God. And um, that's just not, not how Christ views it. Not how God intends for us to make a decision to follow him. Baptism, water baptism does not get us into heaven. It does not prevent us from any like interim place because people, some folks believe that you know if an infant god forbid passes away i think my mic is going in and out do you want me to put it on the outside okay um hold on technology is not easy y'all okay um so It is not something that parents can do for their children to prevent them from going to this, you know, to, to heaven versus hell when they're, when they're little, young. 
um, baptism is meant to do something, is meant to be done after you found Christ and place your trust in him, not something where you find Christ. And I think that's one of the biggest differences I had to um, understand is that what I was baptized in when I was six months old is great, but it was just culture. And now that I'm a believer in Christ, I am declaring in front of those who I consider community to walk with him, to walk into what he wants me to do, and to continue to follow him. And that's just not something that's done by a simple dip in the water. If the meaning of baptism could be summarized in one word, that word would be identification. Identification with Christ. Baptism is primarily a personal and public identification with Christ. But it has significance for all. It has significance for individuals, for the individual getting baptized, for his friends, their friends or family, for those um, who are believers in the church, for the church community, and for the unbelievers. So the act of one person reminds and challenges every section of, let's say, this community that we have here in front of us. According to Romans 6, 1 through 4, which Alana read for us, our baptism is a witness of the saving work of Christ, his crucifixion, death, burial, and resurrection. As a symbol, it visually reenacts his burial in the grave and his resurrection to life. When we see a new believer or a believer that's been walking with the Lord for years go up to the water, they leave their old self behind, they get into the water in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and they literally come out of water a new creation. And we get to watch that and be reminded of that, how beautiful that is. There's a song that I really like. Um, it's an old gospel song by Andre Crouch. It's called Take Me Back. And it says, take me back to the place, dear Lord, where I first received you. Take me back to the place where I first believed. So when a person gets baptized, water baptized here, uh, we have a tank, a water tank that we haven't filled in a while. Um, so um, we get to watch that beautiful act once again. And we get to be reminded that, oh my God, Like I remember that first time I pl- placed my trust into Jesus. And my life has just been different ever since. We are reminded of our own testimony, and we get to see and welcome the new believer come into our family, into our church community. N.T. Wright says, I hear that no good teaching is without an N.T. Wright quote, so I have to comply. In becoming a Christian, you move from one type of humanity to the other, and you should never think of yourself in the original mode again. More particularly, in becoming a Christian, you die and rise again with the Messiah. How challenging is that, though? Paul says that in Galatians 2.20 as well. He writes, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We are literally called to die to the old way of living. I want to make a caveat, though. How can you... I just shared with you that I'm living with two cultures. I'm part of two cultures, right? 
how can you leave your culture behind? Like, Lana, what are you saying? Am I no longer be part of, to be part of the culture that I was raised in and brought up in? Oh, no, you are. And I think your culture ought to stay. However, the best way I can put it is that, let me say this. Christ was a Jew by birth. He was raised in the Jewish culture. He knew the law. He was taught in the way of the law. And in fact, he used his culture from within to um, speak to the ones who, he, who his, um, he considered his audience, the Jewish people. He, because he was from within, he was trusted, not by all, unfortunately, but by many, he was trusted because he knew the law. And he could identify with them, like, I know what you are taught from young, because I was taught the same. Yet, there is a new way. And he proceeded to teach about him being the Messiah and um, the Savior that, that did not, they did not expect to come in this way. So I think your culture and your upbringing is crucial to whomever you're going to, you're going to influence in the way of the Lord. What's important to define, though, is that your culture cannot take the lead in how you make your choices now. Anything that is part of your culture that contradicts what the Bible teaches us, that's where you defer to the Bible. I can give many examples of my culture. Um... Just not being, I think, not staying true to the word of God. I can give examples of an American culture that's not in the way, in many ways, not staying true to the word of God. But we are without excuse. We are to treat everyone with love. We are to not be divisive in the culture. We are to view our brothers and sisters as equal because we were created equally, etc., etc. We cannot defer to, oh, I have been raised this way. No, that doesn't work anymore. We have been um, crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I, but he who lives in me, as we just read. It's not without challenge, though. Especially when several cultures are coming together. And our church is a beautiful representation of that. And we have the Patterson Church as well, which is predominantly Hispanic. I think um, the enemy does not like cultures worshiping together. The enemy does, like, does not like diversity in how we view the word of, in how we view God and how we worship him and how we come together with all of our different, I mean, remember you guys, the potluck that we had a couple of years ago before COVID? And not just because I love food, but because, oh my God, it was just like four, five, six tables of all these different foods from Korea, from Nigeria. I remember um, just eating things I've never even seen before. And that's just food. But how many people and personalities and types of, I don't know, worldviews that we get to experience because we are one diverse church. I'm so grateful for that. But is it easy to come together in all of our differences? No, it is not. But we are to be open-minded about each other's cultural backgrounds. Because in the Bible it says, there is no Jew or Gentile among you anymore. There is no slave and free. You are all equal. Back to the water baptism. I'm not, I was not supposed to be talking about food, but somehow it came out. Um, <laughs> so in the water, is there magic in the water when you get baptized? There's no magic. 
Whether you you were baptized in Jerusalem, in the Jordan River, or here in the harbor, hopefully not in the harbor, but I was baptized in New York City. And I should have probably gotten like a tetanus shot or something after that. Um, but it worked fine. I'm still here. <laughs> um, the thing is, it's not really about the water. You still have to be obedient to what God calls you to be. Um, you have to exercise self-control, surrender your thoughts to the Lord, because baptism itself does not cleanse you of sin. Wouldn't it be so easy to just come on a Sunday, get rebaptized, and be all good again? But it doesn't work that way. We have to surrender daily. We have to repent of our sin. And um, we come to him as we are. We don't have to be rebaptized. We just develop our relationship with him. And that is our way of cleansing ourselves. And through his forgiveness, time and time again, we come before him and admit that we've done wrong. Baptism is also a command that Jesus gives to his disciples in the Great Commission. In Matthew twenty-eight nineteen, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. In other words, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a command to get baptized. It is not up for discussion, really. So some of you can tell me, Lana, but what if I was baptized like you when I was six months old or one year old? Should I be rebaptized? Yes, you should be. Because you have not made a decision when you were six months or one year old. You did not understand fully what it means to walk with Jesus. You did not understand fully what it is that you're getting yourself into. Some of us still are not understanding that fully because it's just our eyes are blinded sometimes. But you, we are making a conscious decision now as adults. And if you have not been rebaptized or baptized when you are. Um, when you were consciously making that decision, then you need to get baptized. And listen, I've seen people get rebaptized even though they were baptized when they are uh, when they were consciously making that decision because they've received a new revelation from God that they consider, oh wow, this is my, this is now I understand what it means truly. You don't have to um, if you've been baptized when you're um, when you were making a conscious decision. You don't have to get rebaptized, but if it was. Six months or a year old or two years? Yeah. If you have questions about it, you're like, how do I do that? If you have questions about it, please come up to me after service. Uh, we can always set up a meeting with um, us, the elders, and Pastor Ellis to walk with you, walk through your story, your faith story, to help you understand what, what it means to be baptized in your case. And for those of you um, who've been baptized, this is where you need to start getting comfortable talking about it with other people in your life. It is not just for you. It is for you and it's beautiful, but it's not just for you. It is a public proclamation that you've made. So you are to share it with the public. And not just in word. Actually, not in word at all. Mostly in deed. Baptism, the thing which marks out the Christian publicly from the world around, isn't just a matter of being made clean from one's former life. Precisely, it functions as the boundary marker for the Christian community. 
It shapes the confrontation that must then take place between that community and the watching world. Did you catch that? It's on the screen for you. It functions as the boundary marker for the Christian community. It shapes the confrontation that must then take place between the community and the watching world. That means that the world that we live in is not the same that we just got, got baptized into. And we are, live, we are to live in between the confronting worlds. That is what the point is of walking with Christ fully. It sounds like a lot of responsibility as well. It sounds like it's really difficult to do. And it is. That is why we have to make a conscious decision to follow Christ and not ever go back. So, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. I'm going to walk through some of the steps of what the old means and what new is here. And it's not a full list. It's not a full list at all. But, you know, there's a time limit. So, um, number one, it says, I'm going to kind of walk you through what the world says and then what the Bible says. Very similar to what we did in the prayer and fasting week. I really like that format. Just using the scripture to combat the lies that the world has given us or that we are ourselves believing or the enemy is uh, whispering at us. Um... The world says, be free, do as you will. The Bible says, be different from this world, be set apart, do not mindlessly follow what the world is offering you. Go against the flow of the world. Jesus calls it, do not love the world. First John Chapter 2, verse 15. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. Romans 12, 12. And do not be, con- 12, 2, sorry. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So that you may prove that the will of God is that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, what does it mean to not love the world? Are you like to hate the world? No. We love all people who are in the world. That is one of our commands. However, we are not to be identified with what the world is showing and telling us to do. We are different. We are set apart. We have died to our old selves when we went underwater, when we made the decision to go with Jesus. And we are continuing to live with it. And the world is now separate from us, and we are separate from the world. Number two, the world calls for achievement of status. But God, he says that we are saved by grace through faith, and it is a gift that is freely given. You don't have to work for it. In fact, you can't work for it. And that is why the gospel was so offensive to many of the Jews, because they were so fervent yet unsuccessful in keeping the law the way that it was given in the Old Testament. 
Romans 5 chapter, uh, Romans chapter 5 verse 1 says, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Like we um, sang earlier, it is for freedom that he set us free. We have peace with God. We've been justified and there's nothing else to do. Just walk in it. Sometimes it's hard to do. Sometimes we want to achieve things and we try to perform for God. And it just gets us into worse places sometimes. Let that go and walk in freedom today. Number three, the world calls us to get to the top by whatever means necessary. To jump through titles ranks, make more money, jump over one another, be louder than one another, and tell everyone about what we've done. Advertise it. But the Bible says in Matthew 20, verse 16, so the last shall be first and the first last. For many are called, but few are chosen. There's no rank in the kingdom of God. There's no jumping over your brother or your sister. Number four, the world calls you to be the boss, to have other people work for you and you rule over them. That's success considered. The Bible says in Matthew 20, verse 28, Thus says the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. That's what we are to do. That's what leadership looks like. I'm not saying that you can't have people working for you. Of course you can. But you have a responsibility to work for both people who you work for and people who work for you. Tomorrow when you go to work, your question should be, God, how can I serve my leadership and how can I serve those that I am leading? What can I do? Because Jesus washed feet. That was his servant leadership. It is not about just giving out directions and then not actually acting on them yourself. It is about doing as he did. And he did. He showed love by example. Number five. Have you ever heard the phrase, the world is your oyster? The whole world is at your feet. Which means to be extremely successful and admired by a large number of people. But the Bible says in 1 John 2.17 that the world is passing away and also its lusts. But the one who does the will of God lives forever. We are not to pursue the things of the world before we pursue God. Without him, that is literally not going to give us any peace. It's not going to give us any feeling of fulfillment or achievement. And many, many people that I speak to that are not believers, they're just, no matter how much success they've got, no matter how much of the world they've seen and tasted, they're still miserable. They're still looking because there's that one, one piece of their heart that is still empty, that is still missing. And that's Jesus that is longing for them to come to him and he will give peace freely like we just talked about a couple of points ago. The world does not have that. It does not give that. Trust me, I've searched. Okay, so this one is the one I have most trouble with. This is where you have to give me tips. Remember I said in the beginning. Number six, consider testing Sorry, that's what the Bible says. In the number six in the world, it's like, if you have troubles, you know, it's like other people. 
It's, it's their fault if you have troubles. You're the victim. They've done it to you. There's revenge that usually follows that. But the Bible says, consider testing trials and persecution on Jesus' account as what? Pure joy. What? What in the world? James 1, 2-3 says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Matthew 5.11 God blesses you when people mock you and persecute you and lie about you and say all sorts of evil things against you because you are my followers. I don't like this. This is not good. Like, How can Jesus be so just and yet we have to go through trials and persecution and consider it pure joy? Because his work is within us. He's at work in our hearts. He's continuing to perform surgery in us every single day as we live this earth, even if we are already believers and have been believers for a long time. I still struggle to consider pure joy, though. Just keep me in prayer. Number seven, the world says you are your own man. You can do as you'd like. And sure, we have free will in the Lord. He gave it to us. He created us to be free and to yet still choose him. The Bible says in Matthew twelve fifty, For whoever does the will of my Father who is in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. James 4, 7 says, Submit yourself then to God, resist the devil, and he will free from, flee from you. So, we are submit to God Yet we have free will? What? That doesn't make any sense. You're either free or you're submitting. Confusing, I know. But that's where the relationship with God comes in place. We are free to choose Him. He wants us to choose Him. To be His disciple. To love Him with all that we have. In whatever crooked way we can love Him with our heart. In fact, He puts that love inside of our hearts. We can't produce it. If it wasn't for God and the Holy Spirit drawing us into himself, we wouldn't be here today. We can't achieve, like I said earlier, not capable of achieving. That's why he had to freely give. But in our relationship with him, we surrender, saying, God, not my will, but your will be done. I surrender my daily decisions to you. My life is better when you're in control, not when I go out and make all kinds of messes. And then, God, I come to you and ask you to clean it up or blame my brothers and sisters for doing this and sit before your feet saying, it wasn't me. No, we surrender first and foremost what we are thinking about. Number eight, the world is pushing us to a certain way of living which has little regard for each other's spirit, each other's body, and we then lose regard for our own spirit and body. But 1 Corinthians says in 6.20, you were bought at a price, therefore honor God with your bodies. Romans 12.1 is often called the most important therefore in the New Testament. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, in view of the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true worship. Some of you have been not taking care of your bodies. Eating unhealthy is part of that. Taking care of your body in a physical sense, like exercising and doing the things that are good for your body. Because you're like, ah, it's not important. I'm still young. True. But what does God say about what we are to do with our bodies? And it's not just about taking care of our body in um, health ways. It's purity, too. Treating your body as it is holy. It's our act of worship. What? We just worshiped God with our hands and, and voices. We lifted up our hands. What does this mean? There's more than one way to worship, apparently. And it is something that we do day in and day out. doesn't matter if we have talent to sing to God. That is not what worship is. Worship is coming before him, surrendering to him, lifting up his name, and giving us, ourselves, to him. And our bodies is a... um, Presenting your body as a living sacrifice is an act of true worship. Number nine, the world tells you to look at how people treat you and then treat them the same. And some people say, yeah, but did you see what they said to you? Did, they see, did you see how they acted? Did you see what they said about you when you weren't here? The Bible says to pay attention to your actions and be responsible for yourself. Matthew 7, 3. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? And the whole joy thing that we talked about a couple of points ago. Not only are you not to look at your brother and say, yeah, but how did you treat me? You're to consider pure joy. And finally, last but not least, we are to treat everything in this world as temporary because that is what it is. Lock your eyes up on heaven for that is your reward. I'm not minimizing the the wonderful things that can happen on this earth. Family, relationships, friendships, education, careers, marriage, having children, etc. And we see a lot of joy. I see a lot of joy in the kids that we have here at Gallery, the answer prayers, and how much beauty is born into this world by God. But the world is not our permanent home. Everything is temporary. It is sad and beautiful at the same time. That means pain is temporary. That means joy is temporary. But one thing that is permanent is heaven. And our God is waiting for us there. So whenever you see someone mistreating you, whenever you are not part of any community, sometimes it can happen. Knowing that your reward is in heaven is a good perspective to have. That is, I must say that is a perspective I'm holding on to right now. Being in between two cultures one of which is very broken right now. So 
that's all I have for you. It is not a list that is full, like I said before. Keep adding to it. Not rules that you're keeping and you know checking the box at the beginning or end of every day. These are just principles that we are to surrender to and live by. As Christians who have been immersed into Christ, we are no longer us, the older selves, we are in him. And those of you who have not been baptized, consider it. Read up on it more. If you're, if you're not ready yet, talk to me. Talk to Pastor Ellis. He, he'll be here back next week. Uh, we are happy to walk through it with you. Um, usually at the end of each service, we do um, the Lord's Supper. So, um, or communion. So if you didn't grab the little cup on the way, um, Sylvia and Summer will distribute them for you if you just want to raise your hands. And while they're doing that, today I just want us to be reminded for the Lord to take us back to where we first believed him. Be reminded, for those of you who have been baptized, be reminded, and I actually don't have one either, um, be reminded of... Thank you. Of what this represented for you when you first believed. What the, um, how did you feel? Ask the Lord, take me back to where I first received you. How did you. What did you experience then when you first found out that the love of Christ is real and you want to surrender to God? You want to proclaim that he is your Lord and Savior. Just take a moment, close your eyes and... Ask the Lord to take you back to the place where you first received his love. I want this to be a rededication of sorts. Sure, it's just little pieces of bread and juice. But how much more is behind what that means? Let's take a moment and just remember. And those of you online, if you want to join us in participating, um, you can grab crackers or bread or juice, whatever you have. I'm reminded that when we baptize here at Gallery in the water tank, when the person is out of the water and they're soaked wet, there is a line that we form. And each of us gets a hug from that person. Whoever wants to, obviously not. It's not mandatory. A hug from that person. And it's like, what? They're soaking wet. Yes, they are. And it's a reminder we get that water unto us as a symbol and a reminder of two things. First is we accept them into our family. We are now responsible for them walking in the pack, so to speak. We are protective of that person now because they're one of us. But also because we want to remember the sweetness of that love which we first received and how beautiful it is to get that some of that soakness onto ourselves. I can't wait to reinstall the tank again. And it's warm water, y'all. Don't be worried. It's all doable. <laughs> um, okay, so if you want to stand up, um, let's start with the side that has the cracker. And usually, we take the cracker and we show it to the neighbor that we have near us. But today, I want to change it up. 
And yes, it's still meant for us to share together as a family. But let's receive the first love again. And let be, let's be reminded of the communion that we, the baptism that we first received when we came to Jesus. So say it to yourself today. This is his body broken for you. If you want to flip it to the side that has the juice. And lift it up. And just as you take the sip, be reminded that the blood was poured out for you for the forgiveness of your sin. And just take that in today. There's freedom for you to walk in. This is his blood poured out for the forgiveness of your sin. And we proclaim it together. Christ has died. Christ has risen. And Christ will come again. Thank you guys. So don't sit down yet. Reach out with your hands. We usually do a benediction at the end of each service. Um, (laughs) We are to leave here today in the freedom which we have received from God. We have died to our old selves. We are now a new creation in him. And it is he who lives in us. Let us walk in that freedom today and the rest of the week. And may grace and peace be with you. Thank you, guys.